The New Testament lesson this morning comes from the 23rd chapter of Luke, beginning with the 32nd verse, and that is on page 884 of your pew hymnals. Two others were criminals, were led away with him to be put to death, and when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots for his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's return to the scripture that we read with Greg just a few moments ago from Luke chapter 23. If you're visiting this morning for several years, we have been in a study in the gospel according to Luke. And we've come down to the end. We're at the cross. And this has been a wonderful, it's just been, it's just I've done this study several times, and I haven't enjoyed it near as much as I have this one. I enjoyed all of them, but this has just been, um, I've learned something every Lord's Day going back and looking at these passages that I've known for years and years. We're in Luke 23. We're at the cross. Before we look at this passage, Let's pray and ask Jesus who was there. He's here this morning. Let's ask him to teach us. <clears throat> the congregation of your priests. We want to be prophets, Father, and take the wor your word to the world around us. Speaking your word out into the world. By the way we live, by the way we speak. But Father, you've called us also to be priests, to come and bow before you and bring each other, bring the world around us before your throne in prayer. We thank you for how you have answered these prayers of your priests, how you've blessed. Our Father, we pray especially this morning for Jim Bennington Billy Griggs. We pray that you would bless them. That you would give them physical strength for these days. But we pray most of all that you would give them a strength of soul, a strength of heart. And cause them to look forward with anticipation. For they're so... What's coming, Father, is beyond their imagination. It's beyond our imagination. But we pray that it will cause them and us to live in hope. 
looking forward. Father, we ask as we open this passage, we ask that you would teach us. We know that John Sartell cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. His words cannot change our hearts or enlighten our minds, not spiritually. So I pray, we pray together from the youngest to the oldest, that you will open our ears this morning and give us ears to hear you, to hear your word. Give us a heart that loves your word and yearns after your word. When we leave here in a few minutes, Father, may we know you have spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched. Most of us have read the accounts of dying people. The accounts of people who in their last hours confessed their sins and confessed Jesus as their Savior and their only hope. Deathbed repentance. Deathbed confessions. Deathbed conversions. This morning we read the classic and most famous of last minute confessions. We probably don't think of ourselves that way this morning. But... For the remainder of our time, I want us to see how much more we have in common with this thief, with this last minute confession. More in common than we think. First, with this thief, we're reminded that Jesus deals with us where we are. Look at verse 32. Two others who were supposed to be criminals. No. Who were judged to be criminals. No. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. You know about these thieves. Most people probably don't realize that both thieves Both of them ridiculed Jesus as their crucifixions began. They both did. Look at Matthew 27, 44 on your scripture sheet. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Both of them did. I've heard, we probably all have heard Christians refer to these two thieves as as the bad thief and the good thief. Somehow we've gotten the notion that One thief deserved to be saved and the other didn't. Somehow we've gotten the notion that one of these men was not as bad as the other. Throughout Christendom, in every century, there's been an effort on the church's part to clean one of these thieves up and make him suitable, make him deserve to be saved. I love the fact that both Matthew and Mark record both thieves began in the same manner. Both of them hurled ridicule and insults 
at Christ. Church tradition, as I said, has, has tried to clean up the thief. You read various stories. There was a legend developed that taught that this one thief was a Robin Hood type of character who did not deserve to be on the cross. He was one of these that he stole, but he stole from the people that should be stolen from and gave to the right people. Another even more far-fetched legend names the two thieves, two thieves as Titus and Democus. When they were younger, they had robbed Mary and Joseph. When Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus and fled to Egypt, they robbed them. Democus was for destroying the parents and the child. The legend has it that Titus persuaded his fellow robber to spare their lives. And he said this in the legend, O blessed child, if the day should ever come when I shall need mercy, then on that day, remember this deed. I stole from you, but remember that I saved your life. Why, why have these stories developed? I mean, the scripture's plain. Why have these stories developed? It's very simple. Because in every age, the church has not believed and understood God's grace. We think one must be deserving for God to save us. One thief, one of these thieves had to be better than the other thief. Matthew and Mark give us a resounding, no, that's not true. Both were thieves and both began the day ridiculing Christ. I remember a scene from 20 years ago. Our oldest grandchild, Jim, was at our house. Janet had been in the bedroom getting dressed to go out to some church function. Jim had been in the backyard playing. He comes in the back door. And when I looked at him, I actually thought, now there is the world's dirtiest child. It's covered. Janet comes out of her room on her way out, and Jim runs towards her with his arms like this. Janet did not put on an apron. She didn't push him away. She didn't say, no, 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 I'm dressed. She laughed and hugged him. Just like he was. Now, I was jealous. And I told her. Many times I'd come in hot and dirty. Wanting a hug. And there was no hug. In fact, there was get away from me. You're, you're, you're sweaty and you're smelly. When we encounter Jesus, he does not say go, go get cleaned up. And then come back. Get your life straightened out, and then we'll see. Just as you are. Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched. There's a hymn in our hymn book. And it's, we don't, you say, we well, don't have him books. Well, the 
hymn book of our denomination is a Trinity hymn book. And most of the songs that we sing here on Sunday morning come out of that hymn book. It's an old hymn that has been put, there's an old hymn in that hymn book that's been put to several contemporary melodies. And it's, the, the, the title of the hymn is Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Wretched. It's where I got the title for the message. The third verse of that hymn goes like this. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, Jesus came to call. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. It's one of the great verses in all of Christian hymnody. With the thief, we're reminded that Jesus deals with us as we are. Secondly, with the thief, we're reminded that it is the nature of God to save. We're at the cross. What's the cross about? Do you realize what we've been reading for the last few weeks, this scene that we've been examining? That event had been planned by God before the world was ever created. In his long, intricate, complex providence. This had always been a part of his plan. When God, remember when God gave the law to Moses at Sinai? Right after that, in Exodus, he's given him the law. Right after that, you know what he tells him? Moses, you'll need an altar. When God gave the law, he gave the blueprint for the temple and the altar. The altar was right at the door. You couldn't come into the temple without going by the altar. What did that altar represent? That altar represented the cross. What did the sacrificial lamb represent? It represented Christ, God. Lamb. Do you understand that we're right at the cross? We're at the epicenter. We're at the epicenter of God's salvation. Remember when Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 5, it's on your screen. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by by his stripes, We are healed. What's Isaiah talking about? He's talking in detail about what happened at Golgotha, what happened in that cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. That's what was happening there. Salvation was taking place. What did did Jesus say in John 13, in John 3, 14 and 15? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him would have eternal life. Where did that happen? It happened at the cross. The thief was a few feet away from that cross. That thief was right at the epicenter of God's salvation. What should we expect? We should see Simon of Cyrene, his whole life changed. 
He was right at the epicenter. We should expect to see this thing changed, saved. Why? He was at the epicenter. And that's what happens. That's what's happening right now in this congregation. By the power of his spirit, by the power of his word, he takes us back to the epicenter of salvation. That when every time we come to the Lord's table, what are we doing? We're coming back to the center of that great earthquake of salvation. Salvation was God's idea. He starts talking about it in Genesis as soon as man falls. And he talks about it till they come to Golgotha and the cross. Till the incarnate son of God and son of man takes that sin upon himself. Why? Why? It's his nature to save. It's his nature to save. He doesn't save because we're deserving. We're not. He saves because that's his nature. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. With the thief we're reminded that Jesus deals with us as we are. With the thief we're reminded that it's the nature of God to save. Why did you save that thief? It's my nature to save. And he was at the epicenter of that great story. With the thief, we're reminded that Christ is Christ no matter where we see him. Look at verse 35. And the people stood by watching. Now put yourself in the middle of this. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. That's what the thief saw. The thief was right in the middle of that. This thief had not, had not seen Jesus make blind people see. This people would never had not been in the boat when Jesus stopped that massive storm. He wasn't there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. This thief saw a man, the son of man, beaten, bloody, exhausted, naked, nailed to crossbeams. And he was being mocked and jeered by a crowd. Those were the conditions. Imagine that. Not listening to a sermon. Just looking at, looking at this awful scene. Though that, that scene would be the last scene that would attract someone to Jesus. What, what was it Isaiah said in 53.3? It's there on your scripture sheet. Listen to these words. He was despised and rejected by men. I don't know how. Do you ever think about how Isaiah wrote about this in such detail? It could only have been. The voice of God speaking to him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Stop and think about it. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces. Why? The great seraphim there in Isaiah chapter 6. They covered their faces. Why? Because of the awesome glory and holiness of God. 
But here, men are hiding their faces because the scene is so horrific and bloody and gory, no one could stand to look at it. And he goes on and said, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteem him not. That thief, he, Isaiah was talking about Golgotha. That thief was right there. Jesus was there. And he, that thief was right there. And that's what he was looking at. How in the world? I love this aspect of, of Christ. As people come to me and, and maybe they're not Christians. And they, they have questions and they want to talk. I always tell them. Read the Gospel of Luke. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Just read the life of Jesus. I plead with them to do it. I said, just, just, just watch Jesus. Listen to him. You'll be captivated. It doesn't matter whether you hear him preaching or whether you see him healing a blind man or playing with children or nailed to a cross. He's still Christ. He's still Jesus. The thief had not seen the blind to see, had not seen Jesus make the blind to see or the deaf to hear or the paralyzed to walk. But he heard Jesus say about these, you know, nailed, the very men that nailed him to that cross. The crowd that was jeering and mocking him. He heard him say, Father, forgive them. Who talks like that? Pierre Van Passen was a Dutch, Canadian, and American journalist. He was well known in his day. He, he wrote volumes about the Nazi regime in Germany. He tells a story, a true story, of an elder in detail, of an elderly Jewish rabbi that was dragged into the Nazi in, into the headquarters by the Nazi stormtroopers. At the end of the one room, they were in this large room. At the end of one room, a Jewish man was actually being beaten to death in an interrogation. He was a rabbi, this man. And the soldiers began to mock him and tease him. And they wanted to have some fun with him. So they stripped him naked. And they said, you're a rabbi, teach us. Teach us what you're going to teach your people this week. He was standing there naked. And he asked for his yarmulke. They put it on him. The scene to them was laughable. It was comic. This naked rabbi with his yarmulke on delivers the message. And the message was on how to walk humbly before God. And all the while on the other end of the room, this man was being beaten to death. When I read that, I could not, I mean, immediately I went to the scene of, of Jesus before Herod, Jesus before the Roman soldiers. He too was a rabbi. You're a prophet. 
your Messiah. And somebody behind him would slap him on the head. Tell us who hit you. Tell us what my name is. We have a king here. This was the son of God. Can you imagine all of heaven looking on that scene and seeing the son of God free that way? Teased, mocked. We've got a king here. Let's put a crown on him. A crown of thorns. And they gave him a stick for a scepter. Laughed. That scene was continued right to the cross. As these dignitaries from Jerusalem were mocking and teasing Jesus. And yet the thief looked at him. Finally. And said, you are a king. You may be bloody and beaten, but you're a king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember, we're going to look at this man in a few weeks. There's another man at the cross. He was in centurion who was in charge of all this. And when Jesus died, the minute after he died, what did centurion say? Surely this man was a son of a God. It doesn't matter. We're reminded that Christ is Christ, the Son of Man and Son of God, no matter where we see Him. And finally, with the thief, we're reminded that whether God saves an old thief or whether He saves a young covenant child, it's all the same grace. Look at verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly. There's his confession. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. We're sinners. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. My professor, my college president, one of my mentors that you've heard me speak of quite often, Dr. Liston, would say to us, he called us boys, said, boys, you're supposed to be ministers. He said, but don't ever forget, the only one we know who is going to be in heaven is that thief. Jesus said so. Don't ever, and that's a, that, that was a great, great thing to be said to those of us inside the church. Do you believe you're saved by grace? Only grace? You, maybe you were born, well, maybe you're like me, born of Christian parents. Raised in a home where we daily prayed. Raised in church. You've always known the hymn, Jesus loves me. 
you, you looked for a, a husband or a wife who was a Christian. Maybe some of us go to the mission fields. Maybe some of us actually die on the mission field for our faith. People look at such lives. A martyr? Oh. He's at home with the glory he deserves. That's how we think. Then there's his thief. Hours before he died, he saw his sin and he somehow knew that this man, beaten, bloody man on the cross, was indeed the Messiah. Whatever I am, whatever I have right now, I give it up to you. His Christian life was only maybe a couple of hours long. That's all. No church, no Sunday school, no teaching. He has no work to take with him. He can't look back and say, look at what I did. Look at what I've done for you. His was a life of lying, drunkenness, stealing, abusing, cheating. That was it. Forty years maybe of living selfishly. And only minutes for Jesus. What do we have in common? Dr. William Charles Robinson was a revered, reformed scholar. All of his life, he was a professor at Columbia Seminary. Columbia Seminary was in Columbia, South Carolina. That's that's where it got its name. But uh, it was moved to Atlanta, to Decatur, Georgia. And that's where I went to seminary. Dr. William Charles Robinson was still there. He had graduated from Columbia. After earning his doctorate, he came back and taught at Columbia. He was known not only he was known internationally for his teaching. Columbia had become a liberal school, had moved away from God's word. But old Dr. William Charles Robinson was still there in my first year. His classes, I could, not, I could not take his classes because they were only for upperclassmen. But I would audit his classes. I would go and sit in the back of the room and audit the class just to hear Dr. William Charles Robinson. Sometimes I would go to the library and listen to a sermon on tape from his younger days when he had, was preaching in chapel. One day I was listening to such a sermon alone in the library and in the tape room. And I can't remember the sermon now, but I do remember this. Usually they cut the tape at the end of the message. And you didn't hear the final hymn. But on this occasion, came to the end of the message. I started to turn it off, but I heard the hymn begin. And so I left it on. It was the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. I didn't hear, I, I suppose that Robbie, Dr. Robbie had 
moved away from the pulpit. I didn't hear his voice at all. But on the second verse, his voice was almost all I could hear. He was still at the podium. What does the second verse say? Here's one of the greatest reformed scholars of the 20th century. Child of the covenant. Like a John the Baptist. Converted early in life. But I heard him sing. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. We are the thief. We are the sinners. And he is the Savior. And that will be our hymn.